Welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer, Matt Pfeiffer and Joe Shell. Uh, we've got a great show for you today. This is the 2022-2023 Syracuse Basketball Preview Show. Plus, we'll talk about the football game that unfortunately didn't go our way at Pitt. We'll talk about the Florida State game coming up. But some good news to start with, and that is Syracuse soccer is headed to the ACC championship game. Uh, Joe, you were just watching it. Uh, went to penalty kicks, yes? Yeah, um, not not my favorite way for such a great game to end. I'm not I'm not a diehard soccer fan by any means, but it's just kind of an anticlimactic crapshoot that was an ending for a really, really great game. Um, but we have a really skilled team. They're a lot of fun to watch. Um, a lot of kids who can really uh, do some interesting things with, with the ball, some, some good action. So I don't know a whole lot about soccer. I'm not I'm not a huge fan, but you can tell that um, we have some really skilled players, and they they play a really exciting style of soccer. Well, Syracuse and UVA is a powerhouse, and we just we just took right. them down. So, and it is not the first powerhouse Syracuse has beaten this year either. No, uh, Syracuse... I mean Carolina on the way. Car- so far, Carolina and Virginia, two of the blue bloods of the sport. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so this weekend will be the ACC championship game. They'll have a chance to play for. Uh, the ACC title, obviously the NCAA tournament is already definitely going to be happening for this team. They beat the number one team in the country earlier this year in Clemson. Uh, it's just really just a great year for them uh, overall. Uh, one more piece of good news. Congratulations to our co-host Kevin O'Keefe and his wife Kyra, uh, good friends of ours. and uh, They have a, a new O'Keefe in the world. So Kevin's going to be taking a little bit of time away from the show. But pod we'll baby get... number two. That's right. Pod baby two. And number three is coming in the winter. <laughs> so um, it's uh, it's not. It's very exciting. And uh, so congratulations to them. Uh, so, Joe, we're going to do the basketball preview here. Now, kind of like the football preview, we're giving ourselves a little bit of a break in that we get to watch a game happen <laughs> before we do our predictions. But uh, this is really an exciting year for Syracuse. Obviously, they're coming off of Jim Beheim's only losing season at the helm. 16-17 uh, and 17 last year, 9-11 and 11 in the ACC. This is a year where Syracuse is really going to be trying to bounce back and have that, that bounce-back season. And uh, it's going to really be reliant upon freshmen because this is a loaded freshman team. Six freshmen on this team. Judah Mintz, who was uh, the 33rd, number 33 on the ESPN uh, 150, uh, is really the leader of that pack. But you've got Chris Bell, who we saw start on Monday night as well. you got Kadir Copeland, Justin Taylor, Peter Carey. Uh, Malik Brown, and basically all of them got some playing time and sufficient playing time. I think the least any of them had was four minutes. So, uh, Joe, you know, th- th- this is a team where the freshmen are going to really determine the success. For sure. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a team that's going to be reliant on freshmen, like you said, but it's also a team that's going to lean the most on its senior leaders in Gerard and Jesse Edwards. Um, we're not going to go anywhere without them, especially with such a young, inexperienced team. 
the big thing for me is seeing how Joe Girard plays off the ball full time or mostly full time. I, I think that's going to be really good for him. And he's finally going to come closer to reaching that ceiling as a scorer that we've been looking for since his freshman year. And Jesse Edwards is Jesse Edwards. Um, he's hopefully going to be more of the good that we saw last year and less of the bad, mostly in foul trouble. If he can stay in the game for the, you know, probably at least 36 minutes a game that we're going to want to see him play. Maybe not quite, but we know that Bayheim tends to lean on his players and play them more or less the entire game. Um, if he, he can stay out of foul trouble, then he's going to potentially be an eight all ACC caliber player. He looks bigger this year too, which I have to give him credit for his, his senior year. I was worried he wasn't going to be able to add much weight, but he's, a lot more broad in the shoulders, which he's, you know, still going to face centers in the ACC that are going to bully him. Uh, but hopefully he can hold his own a little better. But he's a skilled player, and I'm excited for what our seniors are going to be able to do. But like you said, the big thing is the freshman. Judah Mintz was a late addition to the class and ended up being the top-rated recruit in the class. And there's a lot to like. You kind of feel like more or less since the Tyus battle O'Shea Brissett team that Syracuse basketball has pretty much been the same team. Some guys had come and gone, but it was this kind of unathletic, couldn't really play much defense, really reliant on the three team. And we were kind of, I don't know about everyone else. I was ready for a change just to feel like we had a different team because I haven't felt like we've had a different style team in a while. Uh, We have athleticism again. We have some good, exciting players. There's a lot to like about Judah Mintz. He plays fast, sometimes bordering on on reckless, but uh, kind of in, in a good way. It, it brings an element we haven't seen before. He can go out in the fast break and score in transition. He really, even not fully in transition, he just takes the ball down the court more quickly. He gets, gets ahead of steam going, and he's great in the mid-range. He can get to the basket, and that's something we haven't really had from a guard in a while at that at that level. He's a weird hybrid of, you know, he has some aspects of, and I don't want to reach too much and put too much pressure on the kid, but he has some aspects of like a young Johnny Flynn as far as his speed and his ability to get to the basket as not the biggest guard. But he's also got a little Scoop Jardine in him, and he's got a little edge and a little fire. And I, I he's the player I am looking forward to, uh, the most to seeing how he develops as the year goes on. But just to touch on the other guys you mentioned, Chris Bell, Beheim says to expect him to be the second best shooter on the team, um, but he still seems pretty raw at this point. Kadir Copeland technically is a point guard, but he's that typical six foot six Syracuse guard that um, to get his minutes, Beheim says we're going to see him at the three a lot. So he's going to come in and almost be a second or third ball handler and playmaker who really isn't going to be relied upon to shoot or create his own offense too much, but he's going to be an athlete, play defense, help the flow of the offense. And I think that's going to be a good role for him this year. The question is, you know, how we come in every year, like, oh, Beheim says he's going to play X number of guys this year, and we never really believe it because he's not going to. Yeah. And we always talk about, oh, well, maybe we'll see a little zone, uh, a little man, as opposed to just the 2-3 zone this year. And You know, I always come and I'm like, oh, I think it might actually happen this year. And Brett yells at me and says, no, he says that every year. It doesn't matter. Like you alluded to earlier, I don't recall a time where even the first non-conference game, 
that 12 scholarship players got minutes. I do not recall ever seeing that. And substantial minutes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not saying it's going to stay like that, but I think when a couple guys get trimmed from the rotation, we might still end up with eight or nine guys who play even come the conference schedule. I think at least an eighth guy. The last time I can think of that happening was 2009-2010. Yeah. That that team that reached number one in the country that we had really, really high hopes for until Rinze. Yeah. Where your bench bench was legitimately full of your future stars already that year. Yeah. That's the last time I can think of it. Well, Um, we can look at who, you know, who's really going to get trimmed out of this rotation. Right now you can say Peter Carey for sure is probably going to be dropped. You don't need three centers this year. And then between Justin Taylor, uh, Malik Brown, and Kadir Copeland, one of those guys is probably going to end up getting pinched out a little bit. But beyond that, you're going to need um, Hema because he's your only guy who can play the five when Jesse needs a breather or gets in foul trouble. You need uh, Samuel Torrance, who is going to be your backup point guard. So that's already seven. Right. And there's, I think there's going to be one more of the freshmen who can slip into a significant bench role. I think we're going to see at least eight real contributors this year, which is significant. It's something we've all been clamoring for, so we don't get Absolutely. so bitten by fatigue as the season goes on. For sure. And, and just for those who don't know, Monir Hima is uh, a Duquesne transfer who played eight minutes on Monday night, 6'11", 230-pound sophomore center. And uh, he's going to become really critical for for Syracuse. Like you said, when when Jesse Edwards needs a break, he's the guy who's going to probably be stepping in. into that. Seven foot six wingspan seems, you know, athletic, hopefully a decent touch around the basket, but definitely a rim protector shot blocker. And um, he's raw, but he's, you know, what we need for a backup center at this point. I think he'll be able to give us some solid minutes here and there. So Monday night, the starters we saw, Joe Girard, Jesse Edwards, Benny Williams. I don't think there's really any surprise in those three. And then Judah Mintz, also not really a surprise. Chris Bell, I, I, I don't know if that's really a surprise either, but it was interesting to see two freshmen starting in game one. Uh, so Gerard, uh, you know, he's coming off. I mean, you talked about him already. But he's coming off a, a solid season. He had 455 points and 92 rebounds. Very good at the line. Uh you know, and, and, you know, he kind of had that sophomore slump and he, he, he crawled out of it. And now without Buddy Bayheim and Jimmy Bayheim, he is going to be the star. You know, if, if this team's going to succeed, Joe Girard, like you said, Joe Girard's going to be a big part of it. The lights are going to be on him. And, uh, and, and that's not to take away from Jesse Edwards, but I think a lot of your point production is going to have to come from, from Girard. And he's going to have to have those good nights. He can't get into those lulls. You know, you had some games where he'd almost get into a funk, especially two years ago. And he's got he's to gotta keep it going because especially those younger players are going to be looking to him. Yeah, he gets into a funk. He tries to shoot himself out of it, but he has extremely poor shot selection while trying to do so, and it just snowballs from there. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Edwards, uh, I learned something interesting as I was going through his stats and everything from the past. Do you know Jesse Edwards has never attempted a three? (laughs) 
in all his time. And I guess maybe that's not surprising considering he's a center. Centers don't, but yeah, in three years. I think we years, all know what would happen if he did, and he knows what would happen if he did, and he <laughs> wants to avoid that scenario. Right. Uh, you know, last year was really the first year he played significant minutes, 27.8-minute average compared to under 10 all the other uh, – the first two years. You know, he had a bunch of blocks. He had a lot of steals. Uh, 156 rebounds. He's going to have to have another year like that. And even though Hema's there, they're, it's like you said, they're going to lean heavily on Jesse Edwards being in there 30-plus minutes a game. And and so he's going to be critical. And if, God forbid, he would get hurt, who knows really what would happen. That's pretty much when our uh, tournament chances last year went from – Less than less than a toss up to to zero was when Jesse Edwards went down last year. Yeah, the team isn't really going to go very far without Jesse Edwards staying healthy and staying out of foul trouble, and Joe Girard taking the next step with his offense. Yeah, so we talked a lot about Benny Williams last year. We wanted him to have more points. We wanted him to have more time. Uh, the biggest thing was he wasn't on the court that much. He was only averaging eleven and a half minutes a game. He is going to be, I think, a much bigger part this season. He had 56 points last year, 42 rebounds. I mean, he really did show promise. If this team is to succeed, I think you're going to get to see Benny's promise for sure. We've been seeing his promise, but he just, I think, is so much more raw as an all-around basketball player than we expected coming in with how highly touted he was, how highly ranked he was as a recruit. He just didn't have a whole lot of offense to offer, but you know he's an athletic kid who can jump out of the gym. He played good defense. He can certainly rebound. I mean, he had his career game against Duke last year where I think he scored roughly 10 or 12 points and, and had uh, double-digit rebounds, and then he got injured shortly thereafter for the rest of the year, so we weren't able to see him build on that performance. But what worries me most is that we really need him to be able to have some sort of offense he needs to be able to get to the basket and score he needs to be able to have a little jump shot even if it's not threes some mid-range games some mid-range jumpers but his shot is so flat and that's what he they said he worked on all offseason was his shot and it's still very flat looking and he's had a couple through the preseason that have looked better and then against lehigh he had a couple that looked bad again so we'll see what we get out of him i think if he's not able to take the next step with his offense as the season progresses, then one of the freshmen is going to step up and start eating into his minutes. And, you know, you can right. only let it go for so long just because he's as highly rated of a recruit as he is only allows him so much leash. And eventually you're going to have to start giving those minutes to someone else. If someone has more to offer than what, what he's offering you, but Absolutely. He's just raw, and, and we, we need him to, to further develop. And he's going to have to develop on the fly now because he's, you know, like you said, he's entrenched in that lineup. We're going to lean on him early. Right. Uh, one more guy we'll mention here, Samir Torrance. He came off the bench for 22 minutes last on uh, Monday night. Uh, you know, this is another guy. I think there's, there's a big upside to him. We just, uh, you know, and he's experienced. He's one of those experienced seniors. He's going to be an important man off the bench. He was so important last year because we essentially didn't have a ball handler that we we trusted, and he would come in and, and ease that a little bit. It's not the case this year. You know, Judah Mintz is good with the ball in his hands, but 
he's our backup point guard, Simon Torrance, and we're going to rely on him for some good minutes. He's a guy who we got excited about him last year, and before the commitment of Judah, we thought had a shot to take over as the starter this year because of what Saimir was able to show us in the postseason, the ACC tournament, um, and down the stretch of the regular season um, with his ability to get to the basket, which is something that we sorely missed last year. We didn't have a lot of guys who were able to create their own offense like that and, and score close. Yep. But now we've been seeing that Saimir fixed his three-pointer in the offseason too and his shot looks really good i mean he's sunk a couple that were really smooth and that's exciting and you know he his role is going to be smaller than we had kind of started to think it might be but he's a part of the team and he's going to be that spark off the bench that we need um or he'll come in he'll play alongside mince and he'll slide judah over to the two um, to give Joe Girard a breather. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see us throw a small lineup out there once in a while with maybe three guards or three guards with one of them being Copeland. I think it, it raises a lot of possibilities, but it will give Mintz an opportunity to play off the ball and when Saimir comes in to run the offense. Him fixing his three-pointer really is going to be huge and is going to allow him to play a larger role than just simply change a pace point guard. Absolutely, for sure. Uh, last player, because we've mentioned everybody else, so we might as well also mention John Bolajak, still on the team, still there. He plays hard, and he's a nice kid, he seems like. So that's <laughs> right. the scouting report. Seems like a good kid, and he plays hard. You know, Hey, he got four minutes the other night, so that, that's a good he thing. He stuck around. I mean, the kid wants to be on this team. That's great. I, I hope we uh, win enough games, buy enough, where he gets to play a lot this year. There you go. Uh, so Monday night, Syracuse opened its season with Lehigh out of the Patriot League. It was a 90-72 to win. Kind of a slow start, but then Syracuse got rolling. They were up 44-26 at the half, 54.5% field goal percentage, 50% from beyond the arc. They out-rebounded Lehigh. We know how important that is. We saw them get out-rebounded a lot last year. You wouldn't expect them to get out-rebounded by Lehigh, but you know, it's still you know, those small victories. Uh, Joe Girard had 19 points. Jesse Edwards had 18. Judah Mintz had 16 in his first start in, at the collegiate level. Samir Torrance had 10. So just, yeah, a lot of people got the ball. As I mentioned, basically everybody on the team got at least four minutes. No, it was, was, it was every scholarship player. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was great. And that was really, really good to see that all the scholarship players got in some time because that's going to be important because you're going to need to build that depth just in case. Yeah. I just, I don't see how this gets trimmed down to the usual six or seven. I don't, I don't see it this year. I, I've said it before and I've been wrong every time I've said it before, but I've never seen a game that counted with 12 scholarship players get minutes and actual minutes, like you said. So it just, Seems a little different. And speaking of things that, you know, we have been alluded to in the past that seem a little different this year, I think we played more man-to-man than zone in that game. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I think we've all said. I mean, zone is Jim Beheim's thing, there's no doubt. But there's times where we've wondered whether it would be better to, in the modern era of basketball, play more man-to-man. It'll be interesting to see if that continues. If you have the athletes to do it. Yeah. Which it seems that we do have the athletes to do it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so next up for Syracuse is next Tuesday, the 15th. They have Colgate. Raiders are 0-1. And uh, they they 
lost to Buffalo by one point, 88-87. Now, they actually still have two games before they play Syracuse. They go to Brown on the 10th, uh, and then they'll play Wells College on the 13th. Uh, Let's just quickly look at the schedule Syracuse has here. The schedule actually, uh, Joe, reads pretty well for Syracuse, at least early in the season. They got Colgate, Northeastern, Richmond, Bryant. You know, Richmond and Bryant, you never know. They definitely make the tournament. They can knock off bigger programs. But there's a very good chance that Syracuse could get a 5-0 and start out of that. Then they're in the Big Ten ACC Challenge at Illinois the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Then they've got Notre Dame on the road. That's the first ACC game kind of in the middle of, well, the beginning of December there, December 3rd. Then they go back to the out-of-conference for a few more. Oakland. The annual matchup with Georgetown on December 10th, Monmouth and Cornell. You would hope that you're going to pick up at least three of those four. And then you get into the ACC. Pitt and BC should both be winnable games. At Louisville, that might be winnable too. Louisville not looking quite like their old selves. At Virginia, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, at Miami, at Georgia Tech. Circle January 24th, number one, preseason number one, North Carolina comes to the Dome. Then they go to Virginia Tech. They've got Virginia again at Boston College, at Florida State, North Carolina State on February 14th for Valentine's Day. February 18th, Duke comes to the Dome. They're preseason number seven. Then they go to Clemson and Pitt, host Georgia Tech on the 28th of February before a March 4th matchup with Wake Forest. I look at that. And there are some really tough games in there, for sure. But there's a lot of very winnable games in there. And uh, I think, uh, especially in the out-of-conference, I think Syracuse can build up a a decent amount of padding in the out-of-conference schedule to get through the ACC schedule. Sure, sure. The main thing for me is that we don't know this team at all. And it's been a while since we haven't known our team at all. But this is a new team that hasn't been tested. It's young, and we don't know what what we have. So uh, the Bryant game is kind of the one I have mentally circled to really see, like, that's like our first test against a higher level of of Division I opponent. You know, obviously, that's a game we go into, and you you expect to win. But Bryant's a good program. Um, they gave us a run two years ago. They probably should have beaten us the, the first game of the year. So um, they're no pushover. They're a tournament team like you alluded to. And I think that will be our first test to see like, okay, if, if you know we're still progressing and we look good against them, hopefully as we start to play some, some higher high major programs before the non-conference that um, we continue to build and we, see a team that's developing and potentially could be running on all cylinders by the time we hit the heart of our schedule. But your guess is as good as mine at this point. I, I don't know what to expect from this team. I think there's a chance that they aren't significantly more successful than last year while playing a more entertaining and more watchable brand of basketball. Well, I uh, this is the part of the show where I was going to ask you what your prediction was for the season. So I'm sorry to hear that you don't <laughs> have a feel on it. Um, so as far as overall record or just where uh, we end right, up? 
a regular season record, uh, a tournament where you see us. How many games we play? Are in we the in the tournament? <laughs> we play thirty games. So I'm gonna say without just parsing through the schedule game by game and, and, and doing the math, I'm gonna say right now if I had to guess that this team performs well in the non conference, which you know, we talked about being a little more favorable than what we've seen in the past. I don't think we'll drop as many of those really head scratcher non-conference games. And I, like you said, we'll build a little cushion going into the, the heart of the conference schedule. Mm-hmm. ACC's, you know, it's deep and, and yeah. we kind of find ourselves in the, in the middle of the pack lately. And it's, you know, until we see something different to tell us otherwise, we have to assume that we're going to be around that middle of the pack. And hopefully that ends up being more like six or seven than eight or nine. Yeah. So right yeah. now I, I, I'm going to be optimistic and say that this team kind of figures it out and there's a lot of talent and we have athleticism and ball handling, which is, is critical. And we have a couple kids who can shoot. I think right now I'd say we, we squeak into the tournament Um. I'd say it's one of those years where we need to win a game or two in the ACC tournament to solidify, which is a place we've seen ourselves before. Um, but I think we'll slide in. And as far as how far we, we can go in the, in the tournament, you know, I'd love to see this team make a sweet 16, but I think that's pushing it. But I'll say right now that we uh, make the tournament and win one game. Yep. So I went through, I looked at the schedule I, I agree. I kind of think we're still in the middle of the ACC. The ACC media had us preseason number eight. They had UNC first, Duke second, Virginia third, Miami fourth, then Florida State, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, and then us. And then, you know, everybody else was behind us. I I have us 18 and 12. Uh, and then going to the second round of the NCAA tournament. I think... A lot like the football schedule, my warning to the Syracuse faithful is going to be there's going to be a lot of padding on the first half of the season. Uh, Just the way the schedule is written, I think Syracuse is going to be sitting on a pretty good record in the middle to late of December, maybe even the early January, and people might be getting a little ahead of themselves on what the team is. And I think... The, the back half of the schedule obviously is going to be more difficult. There's going to be more losses in there, and you're going to be more splitting games as you go down through January and February. I still think you finish 18 and 12. You, you're going to get a big win here or there that you don't necessarily expect, and somebody's going to knock you off, and you don't expect that either. That's just being honest about college basketball. So 18 and 12, they'll go to the tournament. They'll finish. Uh, they'll go to the second round. I, that's where I have them. And do you think that from now until the end of the season, do you think we continue to see spurts of man-to-man defense throughout the season? If it if it's working, yes. Normally, I when s- it's an experiment, we don't see it after the exhibitions are over. I don't recall seeing it after the exhibitions have been over in the last decade. And we saw a lot of it in that game. Having a losing season could have really changed things for Jim Beheim. Where he also, maybe... like I, like I said, he, he also has the athletes on his team to play a little man because 
if he had tried it in a lot of his other teams, it would not have gone well. But yeah, the other interesting thing, and I think this was a uh, Noon's magician really broke this down. Predominantly, it was the offense. It was the uh, the starters that played man, and it was the reserves that played mostly zone. Interesting. So we'll keep an eye, see if that is significant, or if that was a coincidence. But it's just still weird to me, man, to see Jim Beheim do a line change. <laughs> I don't remember seeing that. To see five guys waiting to come into a game and guys who are high level scholarship players, it just blows my mind. And that's yeah. why I think we're going to see more of these kids play than usual. I think it would be great to see. I think it would be great to see just a change up of things. Um, the only the only drawback is that the part of Syracuse's thing has been that having that ma- um, uh, zone has somewhat thrown off teams. Right. Um, but have we seen and, that in the last two or three years? Really, I don't feel like we have. Right, a whole it, lot. it really hasn't. It hasn't worked. I think there's lot. some value in being able to give a team different looks if something's not working or not going well. To be yes. able to switch it up, or even if things are going well, just to give a different look and keep the other team on their toes and keep them guessing of what you're going to throw at them, I think is valuable. And I would, I would be excited to see that work out going forward and for that aspect to stay. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Let's switch over to football. Uh, and uh, so Syracuse now is six and three. They are the first ACC school to ever start six and oh, and then lose their next three. Uh, yeah. Three field goals on the road at Pittsburgh. That streak dating back to 2001 at Pitt is going to have to wait two more years at least. Uh, just not a good day. Uh, Carlos Del Rio Wilson, uh, who played for an injured Garrett Schrader. We're still not sure what it is, but based on what Dino Baber said, describing, well, we all feel what he's feeling, and it's a real owie. I'm getting the sense it might be some sort of a groin injury or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, that's what I thought. I'm like, did he have like a, a like a testicular injury or something like that, the way he was being weird about it? That is kind of what he alluded to, but I didn't know if that was just me looking into it too much or if anyone else got that impression. It, it kind of sounded like that, it, but we'll find out, I guess. I mean, my concern is if it's something like that, I don't know if we'll see him back. Yeah, because that then comes into like, oh, like his personal health and his life is actually like important in this scenario and, and yeah. needs to be considered. Yeah. So Syracuse only had 145 yards to Pitt's 337. Uh, I mean, just a disaster of a day. Carlos the offensive Del Rio, line was awful. Every issue boiled down to the offensive line, just not yeah. showing up to play. Yeah, uh, Carlos Del Rio Wilson only had 120 yards on 8 of 23. He was sacked six times. Uh, Sean Tucker had 24 yards on 10 rushes. It was just nothing. nothing went right. Against not even the hardest defensive line that they've played, <laughs> the, Vir- the 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 Notre Dame defensive line was better. The Clemson defensive line was better. Pitt just had their number again. It's the same story over and over again. And you look at what Pitt did. Pitt ran. Pitt ran the ball, and the Syracuse defensive line couldn't stop it. So I, I got into this discussion with Brett a little bit via text the other day, and 
my observation was that in the second half, the run defense actually was pretty admirable. And I think got better as the game went on. I didn't feel like they were running the ball down our throats at will down the stretch of that game. There was ample opportunity for our offense to wake up and put us right back in that game. I don't really fault the run defense much at all for the result of this game. Early on, it looked like it was going to go that way again, but I don't think that's where we ended up. I I really think they, I don't know if they re-schemed something or if the players just woke up and started playing better, but down the stretch, we made some big stops and they weren't just gouging us for five runs every touch. We were actually bringing them down in the backfield here and there and stopping them for short gains. And I felt pretty reassured about that. And every, like I said, everything to me comes down to the offensive line. Sean Tucker had nowhere to go. You can continue to complain about give Sean Tucker the ball more. Why? There's nowhere for him to go. We can keep giving the ball and there's nowhere for him to go. There's nothing he can do until this offensive line play is improved, whether it's changing the personnel or shuffling around who's playing what position, whatever it may be, they need to try something. Yeah. And I'm and not going to blame that... them entirely for the quarterback play either. Cause Dorio Wilson, as for as much as I was saying, I was excited to see what he had to offer based on the little glimpse of him in the dome. He wasn't ready. He was not ready to play. He seemed nervous. He's that, that young quarterback that comes in and has one speed on his throws. And for more than half the throws, it's too much. He ends up, air mailing throws. He had a potential touchdown to Gadsden that he just overthrew by a mile and he was overthrowing receivers all day. And he doesn't seem like he has yet learned how to take a little bit off of his throw to find his receivers and to find those openings. Right. And that's the thing that you're going to have to hope that they're working on. This but when week. you're running for your life all day, it's also hard to focus on some of those things. Uh, it, it, that is true. And, and the offensive line, I think there was something like, was it on average, like 30 pounds lighter than Pitt's D line, or there was something about our lines on average just being not as big. And that's just for the second, third week in a row that has really yeah, been exposed. Third, for sure. Yeah. And a uh, good thing that we've got uh, already our first offensive line commit for the off season, a Juco who's coming in, you know, that's the place. Now you have the skills players. You got a lot of skills players that are going to be coming back. The thing that you now need to fix is the lines. Yeah. You know, it's that old thing. You win football games in the trenches, and that's going to be important. Let's do stars and demerits here. Kind of hard to pick anything here, but I'll let Joe go first. All right. Well, I'll, I'll give a demerit to Chris Bleich. I'll let him fall on the sword for the entire offensive line. He's been awful, and um, we were excited about him transferring in from what, f- uh, Florida. Yep. So, you know, we were expecting an SEC caliber talent and, you know, he fought through injury to, to come back and, and be a starter, but he's been bad. And I mean, they're all getting blown up, but I'm going to let him take the blame on this one because he really stood out to me as the guy who just kept getting beat and blown past. But the, yeah. the, we're not going to we're not going to win another game this year, potentially, if the offensive line play doesn't improve. Yeah, I'm going to give a double star to Isaiah Johnson, Jihad Carter. Isaiah Johnson has done nothing but impress me uh, this year. He's come in from Dartmouth. He's done a great job. He had an interception, and Jihad Carter had an interception. Carter had 10 tackles. Johnson had four. Uh, that that Isaiah Johnson, I, I just can't speak enough for that because he, he is not somebody who was on our radar <laughs> preseason, and he has stepped up as a ball hawk. <laughs> 
all while dealing with the pressure of replacing a team leader. Yeah. Yeah. So credit to him on that. So we got to look ahead. Uh, things are not going to get any easier as Syracuse, not surprisingly, has dropped out of the rankings. They have their home closer against 23rd ranked Florida State Saturday night at 8 p.m. on the ACC network. The Seminoles are six and three, four and three in the ACC. Kind of a rough start a bit for I mean, they won their first game. Florida State kind of had these ups and downs, but they've hit their stride. Uh, they're they're clicking on all cylinders. They're coming off a, a 45 to three win over Miami. Jordan Travis has over 2,200 yards passing. He's he's completing si- over 62 percent of his passes for an average of nine yards a pass. He's got 17 touchdowns to four interceptions. Trey Benson. 611 yards. He's averaging seven yards a carry for five touchdowns. Treshawn Ward, 488 yards and three touchdowns. Lawrence Tolfel, 367 yards and five touchdowns. These are all running backs. (laughs) This is going to be a very hard game for Syracuse. I just can't see this going well. I think the offensive line is going to have trouble with, I mean, we know Florida State's going to have a good D-line. Florida State's going to have a good defense. They're good athletes. They're big. They're going to get through. If you're having trouble with Pitt, and this isn't a knock on Pitt. Pitt has always had good defenses. Let me be clear about that. But Florida State's going to get through. And if it's and if we have Carlos Del Rio Wilson in there again, it's going to be a really bad night at the Dome. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm just going to be very blunt here. Even if it's straighter in there, I'm not sure if it's going to be a lot better. I think this is going to be the worst loss of the season in terms of lopsidedness. And that's no offense to the defense. I think the defense is going to do their best, but there's just the point where they're going to get tired out. And who knows how tired they are from last week and having to be on the field so much. I'm going to say this one, Florida State. Oh, God. uh, 37 to 17. Mm -hmm. That's about – that's pretty close to where I was at. Yeah. I still have have some faith that the defense will will keep it together and keep the game within within reach for a lot of it, but I just don't see the offense being able to to keep up at this point with whoever we throw out there. And you know, like you said, eventually with enough three and outs, the defense is going to get gassed and, and kind of not be able to to stop them any longer. It may be watchable for a time, but like like you said, I think eventually it, it does get out of hand even if the score doesn't indicate a complete blowout i think it will feel like one for large portions of the game um but mark me down for 31 to 16 florida state okay uh so just looking at the opponents that syracuse had uh syracuse's opponents louisville became bowl eligible with a 34 10 win over james madison Wake Forest now has the same record as Syracuse and a worse record in conference. They're six and three, two and three in the ACC. Uh, they lost thirty to twenty-one to NC State. NC State, who's now seven and two, with a new quarterback, and that that really has changed NC State. Notre Dame, with the big surprise this week, maybe in college football, thirty-five fourteen over Clemson. So that takes Clemson out of the playoff. There will not be an ACC representative in the playoff. Clemson drops to 8-1. and one. 
Florida so basically, uh, basically put Clemson in the Orange Bowl right now. You can oh, pretty much mark oh, that down. Oh, for sure. Uh, and I'll tell you, if they play North Carolina, I, I'm not so sure. North Carolina could beat Clemson. I, I yeah. Der- Drake May and North Carolina, they've got a nice offense. They've got a good defense. I would not count North Carolina out of that game, especially since it's in Charlotte, too. Uh, now, Notre Dame is 6-3. and three. They're going to a bowl. Virginia lost 31-28 to that North Carolina team I was just talking about. They're 3-6, and 1-5 and five in conference. It, it just shows you how much they're missing Anai and, and Beck. Florida State, like I mentioned, the 45-3 to three win. UConn, 27-10 to 10 over UMass. UConn has five wins. They could go to a bowl. It, it is very possible when you look at what they have left. They've got Liberty. I don't think they'll beat Liberty, but they have Army, and I think they could beat Army. Wagner lost 50-10. to 10. They're 1-8. Purdue got blown out by Iowa. I can't imagine anybody had this. Iowa 24-3. to 3. Iowa, whose offense has been atrocious this year, to, to put it bluntly. Uh, but so that brings Purdue to 5-4. and four. They're three and three in ACC play, or and I'm sorry, Big Ten play, and then finally I got to talk about Boston College. Boston College lost thirty-eight to thirty-one. The thing that concerns me is they put down thirty-one points on a pretty good Duke team. Boston College changed their quarterback to to a younger quarterback, and it showed, and they were a lot better. Suddenly, that last game of the season doesn't look as surefire a win as it did just a week ago. So that, to me, is very concerning. Taking a look at the bowl projections. Uh, they've changed pretty drastically, not surprising. Sports Illustrated, the Sun Bowl versus UCLA. I can tell you right now, Syracuse does not want to play UCLA. If, if it's anything like, if we're going to look in late December what we look like right now, I don't see that going well. Jerry Palm at CBS, the Gasparilla Bowl on December 23rd versus Buffalo. College Football News, the Pinstripe Bowl versus Michigan State. Pro Football Network, the Pinstripe Bowl versus Purdue. So I don't think a, they would do that. I, I do not think they would do a rematch in a game like that. I, I agree. 247 Sports had the same one. Uh, Pinstripe Bowl versus Purdue. Uh, bowl games don't usually like to do rematches. Uh, th- this was a close one. I guess it's not completely crazy, but I, I just don't see it. I don't know how many games they would have to – keep losing or how much we would have to win for this to happen. But I would personally like to see us play Illinois in the pinstripe bowl. I think that'd be a fun matchup. I don't, I, I do not want to play Illinois. I don't want to play Illinois. I don't want a aggravated Tommy DeVito out for vengeance against us. Uh, I just, I don't think that goes, especially if Garrett Schrader doesn't come back. When we were playing better, that was the matchup that I was like, Oh, that could be interesting. Yeah. I also think Illinois is going to punch higher than that. I mean, yeah. Illinois just lost to Michigan State. They're only sitting on two losses. They're looking at a New Year's Day, like Gaspar, uh, not Gasparilla, like uh, Reliquest Bowl or an, uh, 
Citrus Bowl right now. Uh, I think they're punching higher than the pinstripe. At this and point. for us, I just think it doesn't matter at this point. I think six to eight wins probably lands us in the pinstripe bowl regardless. Yeah, we haven't been in the pinstripe bowl in 10 years. You know, we were in two of the first three. We won both of those. I think right now we're very much on track for yeah. that. Because from a from a football perspective, can the pinstripe bowl do better than a six-win or seven-win Syracuse team? They certainly can, but a six-win Syracuse team puts more butts in the seats than a lot of those other options. Yeah. And in terms of opponent, I think the Maryland possibility is more likely than, you know, they because that would bring a lot of people too. The other one I could see is in Iowa, um, which Iowa travels well in general. Um, Minnesota would probably be punching above the pinstripe ball. And yeah, so I, I, I kind of think, and everybody else I would say is above Penn state is going to be up new year's you know, somewhere around new year's day. Cause they're probably only going to have two losses. Obviously Ohio state and Michigan are going for the playoff in the Rose bowl. So, well, that's all we have for this week for three idiots and a lawyer. If you've got the 1990 NCAA lacrosse trophy, let us know. We just want to know that it's safe next week. We will talk about the women's basketball team because there's a lot to talk about there. New coach, new era. Uh, there's some hope there, you know, the, of, of trying to build the program the right way. And uh, so we'll definitely get into that. We'll talk about football. We'll talk about the men's basketball team. Hopefully we'll talk about a soccer title in the ACC. That would be pretty cool. And uh, look, follow us on Twitter at 3ILPod. Like us on Facebook, 3 Idiots and a Lawyer. Until next time, for Joe Shell, I'm Matt Pfeiffer. We'll see you next week.